0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for my podcast, Great New American Essays. The series appears here on the New Books Network, which has as its motto, "Sharing knowledge so people can thrive." I have the pleasure today of having the Sun Magazine's associate editor, Derek Askey, with me. Welcome to the show, Derek.
0: Thank you very much, Sam. It's a pleasure.
1: So uh, let's start with the magazine itself. Um, It's been around for a long time, Venerable Magazine, nestled down there in Chapel Hill. Uh, What makes it uh, unique in your point of view? There's a lot of literary mags out there, of course, but what's the distinct stamp that makes it a, a Sun Essay, for instance?
0: it's a great question and i feel like it's one we're constantly in the process of of sort of redefining what it is to be a sun essay and what it is what the sun means exactly um as you said we've been around for a long time uh we just hit our 50th year in print uh last year uh which was very exciting um and that is you know pretty long uh for any magazine i think but a literary magazine in particular um Taste change across 50 years. And we've managed to weather a lot of storms. Um, In terms of what makes the sun unique, uh, I think one of the the largest things that we offer to readers is an uninterrupted space to read. Uh, And by that, I mean we do not carry any advertisements in the magazine. We are supported exclusively by our subscribers um, and those who wish to donate on top of a subscription. And that is extremely rare to find a a magazine that doesn't have any ads. Um, But it was a choice that our founder and editor, Sai Sopransky, had made. Um, I think that was in the early nineties. And so we've been sort of in that position of not having ads for quite some time. Um, And I think because of the writing that appears in the magazine, which is often, I suppose one way to describe it would be intimate uh, or maybe raw, um, it's, you know, the type of thing that you might be comfortable telling your therapist or a stranger in the street, and you might not be so comfortable telling your spouse or your mom or whatever the case may be. And I think we have a lot of that writing in the magazine and to have an ad for, you know, golf fleets next to it would, would be absurd, uh, in some way. And so we try not to do that. Um, and I think, you know, the, what we've published has. Sort of reinforced that as time has gone on. We've tried to publish those pieces that that do that sort of work, and people see that in the magazine, and they feel sort of comfortable sharing that with us. So feel very lucky to have a hand in that.
1: Okay, no, that makes sense. For instance, if uh, yes, they will discuss later. Fire had boxing glove ad right next to it. Uh, <laughs> <Right>. Yeah, that, <laughs> that might kind of change the feel. <laughs> right, it would. Yeah. <laughs> so for for you personally as an editor what kind of essays do you find yourself drawn to so we're talking about kind of raw more intimate memoir style essays but within that based on subject matter voice over stylistics is there any kind of uh catch-alls that tend to work for you or that you're drawn to
0: yeah I think you know for me personally the um not to suggest that the voice isn't important but I I feel like, I'm looking for what might be described as a good narrative in that essay and that's not to say that every essay we publish follows that format but I think as a reader um as one of you know numerous editors at the magazine that's the the bit that I tend to go for in terms of voice um the the best way that I've found to describe this and I've said it elsewhere and I kind of repeat it because I haven't found a better way to say it <laughs> sure. is that um I appreciate an essay where I feel like the reader is or excuse me the author is looking me in the eye. Um and that's hard to fake, I think. Um and you you kind of try to hone your skills as an editor to look for that. Um and it also to me to my mind means that the substance is a lot more important than the style. Um, you know you can read a piece and think about what it might have cost the author to write it you know what it meant to be that honest on the page Um, and you know that's um, that's that sort of secret thing I think that a lot of readers look for when they pick up a piece of writing is that that truth Um, however the reader or the writer defines that Um, so I think you know not to get too metaphysical i think that's sort of what i'm looking <laughs> for when i pick up a piece of writing
1: no i think that's a great answer and then quite honestly a truthful one i, I believe <laughs> coming from you does that uh maybe suggest that if they're not quite looking in the eye that they have perhaps gone for a well-called stylistic aerotechnics over uh substance just possibly
0: right right and you know that's not to say that i i don't read those pieces but i don't read them in the sun i think and okay. and that you know, I think that's one of those places where maybe my personal tastes, you know, there there might be all of those pyrotechnics that really get me, Derek, sure. but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's right for the Sun. And so that's always a, a you know a tightrope tightrope that we're kind of walking, as well as editors, to find what that is for the Sun. Okay. Um, yeah.
1: Fair, fair enough. So let's let's go to the essays itself. You were kind enough to send me three back issues, so we're talking mm-hmm. October through December. Uh, I'm going to just go in chronological order. You spoke of your sure. narrative, so why not? And uh, going to October, we have lawn skeletons. That was one that uh, appealed to me by Tom McAllister. Um,
0: appealed to me. What What about its appeal for you? You know, I think that, that piece is an interesting one. Um, we we read pieces that we solicit from authors and we also read pieces that authors just sent to us we refer to those as unsolicited submissions we get roughly 2500 of those a month and if i recall correctly tom's piece was just one that was sent to us and it was one that we almost all immediately were like yeah this is definitely a sun piece and i think one thing that it it does really well is that it's it's insular in a way you know it's sort of like just him walking around his neighborhood envisioning these lives of his neighbors and that's a really really tricky thing to do in an essay I think is to make that interesting and he manages to do it and I think he manages to do it for a variety of reasons but one of them is that he gets a lot of himself on the page you I feel like you end that essay with a really clear sense of who he is and what he values and all of that stuff that You know, I think readers look for because that's connection. You know, that's um, that's another one of those sort of ineffable things that readers are looking for. And he just, I I feel like he did such a great job of it. Um, And it, you know, it's it's in many ways a pretty dark essay, but it's also kind of funny. There's like moments of humor in it. uh, And the other essay that you had mentioned to the Ice Age, I think does that too, is a little bit of humor. It's not like Chuck, Chuck, Chuck. You know, uh, elbow you in the in the ribs kind of humor, <laughs> but it is funny, and um, that variety of tones I think makes it makes it hold together. Yeah, know I, I love
1: varieties of tone. They the sad and the funny mixed together. Um, lots of my favorite lit- pieces of literature and movies, for that matter, uh, mm-hmm. do that. So you know, one of the pieces of humor I thought was he's mentioned these two skeletons. So he's walking around. He says they look like they were starring in a Cialis commercial. Uh, right. hold, holding hands, but then, and I think this is lovely. Then he he really deepens the conversation, though he deepens the connection. So there was a line that I thought was really central, and I'm wondering what you made of it, knowing the mm-hmm. essay so well. He says, "I thought of myself as uncompromised back then, even as I made compromise after compromise." To me, that was this moment where he opened up, and yeah, he, he dared to put his, his values himself uh, on on the line. Uh, how about our, our listeners here? What what's the the context the understand we come away with regarding those compromises uh that he's making?
0: Yeah, you know, you um you find yourself living in a neighborhood that looks like a Cialis commercial and you wonder, uh, it's like that David Bern line, how did I get here? You know, like <laughs> and you know, one presumes that you you make those compromises along the way to get to that point. And again, that's another one of those parts of the essay that I love so well, is that you see him not only as he is now, but you see him as he was in a sense, you know, you get this sort of sense of a whole history of a person uh, in the essay. And you can do a lot with a, a line like that to get there, you know, that there's this past that's sort of behind him. Um, and like I said, it's it's not the most cheerful essay. It is about this sort of inevitable march toward our own mortality. Um, and so as you look forward toward that, I think you're also looking backward as well. Um, so yeah, just another one of those kudos to the author kind of moments, I guess, yeah. Sure, so
1: same issue, uh, you alluded to it a moment ago, The Ice Age by Dan Leach. I, I met one of the lines that really struck me early on it said, I had to force myself to stop thinking, which in a certain sense is a base level requirement for working in the claims department of a major insurance company. <laughs> Yeah. Now, I, I have been a market researcher for at least some portion of my life, and I can tell you without naming the client that uh, they ran a commercial that they couldn't believe tested poorly. Uh, they were denying claims left and right following a hurricane, and they were merely mm. asking out teddy bears to the would-be claimants. And they wow. didn't understand why the commercial with the teddy bears uh, didn't resonate with folks. Wow. Uh, so I, so I got to tell you, I, I love that line. But ultimately, this is also a, uh, uh, you know, carries some weight as an essay. It's really about depression in the end. Uh, what mm-hmm. would you say are some understandings that you come away with that are, are new, that are fresh based on uh, what, uh, you know, Dan said
0: in the piece? Yeah, I you know, uh, well, before that, I had to say I also worked for an insurance company. Uh, and so that line, that <laughs> line jumped out at me too. Uh, it was this little in for me in a piece that uh, in some ways for me at least, described a foreign country. Um, I've never dealt with issues of depression. uh, And the essay, I think, provides a lot of insight for those of us who have not had that experience. uh, And I would presume a lot of empathy for readers who have had uh, struggles with depression. And it's interesting that, you know, there's so many lines that stick out. For me, the one I think he's describing his sister and she t- she talks about it as the weight you know like yeah it's hard to write but it's also hard to peel an orange um and there's those you, you know again those those small moments that you can say a lot with um a line like that and for me at least like that was one that jumped out at me big time it's like this is a way to articulate a feeling in a moment but the feeling lasts all the time um or maybe not all the time, but you know, there are, there are waves and how it feels to be at the crest or the trough of a wave. I don't know how you would describe it. Um, I love his ability to do that and to describe to me something with which I, I am not personally familiar. Um, but it makes it feel real to me. That's certainly one of those essays where good golly, he's looking you in the eyes the whole time. Um, sure. and
1: then they, 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 the, the detail of the orange is, is telling. I can, I would agree with you that I'm not someone who's generally uh, had to struggle with depression, but I remember being decidedly unhappy while I was doing a job search in my (laughs) early 20s. And a friend calls me and out of the blue, he says, so uh, what are you doing? And I realized, oh, my God, I'm I'm reading the obituary section of the Minneapolis Star Tribune because my comfort zone is reading. And if I keep (laughs) reading all day, then I don't have to go do my job search.
0: Sure. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Lo and behold, I was reading the obituary section, which... Believe me, it never occurred to me before. Uh, but suddenly it was very appetizing. Uh yeah, uh, it's
0: that moment of like uh all of a sudden you see yourself with a little more clarity than you had before, right? Yeah, um,
1: um clarity you didn't always necessarily want. Right, but, exactly. But, yeah. but there but there it is, but there it is. Yeah. yeah. So so let's move to November. And uh, this might be my possibly favorite essay of the three, but uh I, I liked everyone that we just discussed certainly as well. This is Daniel Donahue's essay fire um what's the fire what are we talking about here
0: yeah uh daniel donaghy um he is um someone who had uh, published a piece with us before um and in this essay he's really talking about his past and the way in which his present maybe does not reflect the act you know and give an accurate picture of what that past is and his past is you know it was a it was a rough one he he talks about growing up in a rough neighborhood um in philadelphia um he talks about the violence that was part of living in that neighborhood um violence that does not stop at his doorstep but literally Mm -hmm. crashes through his window um and that's a that's a tough thing to talk about um and again i feel like that's another one of those where you think about what does it cost the author to write this piece and to share it with us and to share it with our readers. Um, I I do think this is probably a good example of what I had said that I look for personally, which is there's a great sense of narrative in the piece because he's talking about these events of his past and there's like a lot of really great scenes. There's a lot of like good scene work that goes on in the essay. And that was something that I um, glommed on to when we were talking about this essay as a group and deciding to take it. Um, It does that really well.
1: Well, you know, on the lighter side i could have because it is a rough neighborhood in philly i could have uh invoked the joke about uh the, the contest in which uh, first prize is a week in philly and second prize is two weeks in philly <laughs> um but um but, but i'm also drawn to a, a line that i remember from james baldwin a big uh hero of mine he said you know the the uh economic the, the cost not the economic the cost of being poor uh it's very mm. expensive so yeah. here, here it goes way beyond the financial. There's a, a spiritual and emotional toll for what he's gone through. Um, maybe want to offer a few more words on that before we go to one last question.
0: Yeah, I think um, I think what's so what's so sort of affirming about the essay, in a way, is that he's here to tell it, and that he comes through that that poverty. And again, I, I think it's, it's much more than financial poverty, as you're saying, you know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of lack and a lot of want that he describes in his upbringing. Um, and to know that he's come through that, to know that he is this, you know, I don't want to say that he's a different person. I don't even know if he would describe himself as that. I think the essay grapples with sort of feeling like he's still that same person, uh, and just not being seen that way. Um, but, but, no, it, but not condoning the violence that he was subjected to, nor on a few occasions meted out to others. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's a, a thin line to walk. And and uh, so I, I don't know, for an essay that's as dark as it is, it's also weirdly sort of hopeful. Um, and I think that's, you know, that also comes back to this mix of tones that we talked about, uh, that it's not just like, you know walking through a dense cloud into a denser cloud you know there is there is something at the end of the essay i feel like that that he gets to um
1: yeah yeah no there, there's a a hunger in the essay and that hunger is physical <laughs> it's emotional and then it's spiritual i think in trying to transcend uh and not fall back into you know what he's experienced right yeah so i one last thing because you had mentioned Sai earlier your founder And uh, in his December issue, uh, it opens with an open letter where he admits that he may be in the or is indeed in the early stages of dementia. And the the next piece in that issue is your interview of a woman who's uh, more than a bit of an expert on the subject. And uh, I read it through and I know it's not an essay, but uh, Mm -hmm. it's your voice. And there's a question you asked that I thought was so striking for me. I'm going to read it back. You know the question because you asked it. And then I'm curious (laughs) what you what you heard. Uh, from the one you interviewed regarding that question. You say, those who are mad are often seen as insightful precisely because they're mad. We believe there's a relationship between genius and madness. But I don't think we extend that to people with dementia if they aren't themselves, quote unquote. Does the extent of the speaker determine the value of the insight? I love that question.
0: Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, You know, that was... um, a really important interview for me um, because uh, as I say, in the introduction to it, I also, or I should say, I had someone initially in my family affected by Alzheimer's, which was my grand, uh, my mom's mom. And to have that then happen to Cy, who is um, so important to me as well, um, was really tough. And, you know, Cy has always, you know, we I talked about the magazine in general, being this place where, you know, you can talk, openly about things. And to that end, I wanted, you know, I I hope that there would be a space to talk about this condition in a way that was honest and open uh, and to ask those, you know, what I think are sort of more deeper philosophical questions. You know, it's the interview is not like a how-to guide for caregivers of those Alzheimer's. It's it's trying to look at that um, from maybe a larger um, stance in terms of, how memory is important to all of us not just those of us who are affected by memory loss and the person i interviewed lynn castile harper had written this really incredible book called on vanishing um that sort of did all of that stuff that i was hoping the interview could do which was to talk about it more broadly um and so that you know that question about madness um was was important to me because i i see myself falling into that trap you know i'm just as like a dumb example i'm a big pink floyd fan And those early, you know, Pink Floyd records with Sid Barrett, and then, you know, he loses his mind. And so he has all of these like crazy lyrics in the early records, and then he's gone. And, you know, we value that we, we, as a society are so um, ready to acknowledge that there's value in what he has to say, even if he's gone, quote, mad. And we're so less likely to do that with uh, an elder, usually an elder, uh, but anybody who has Alzheimer's or memory impairment. Um, And. I, I, don't know, that just seems sort of gross to me. Um, and I, I wanted to talk about that with, um, Castile Harper and, you know, she, she talked, her example of that was Vincent van Gogh. You know, he was also someone who was quote mad. Um, and yeah, I, I just, I think it's a societal thing that we do almost subconsciously and I guess I would ask us to re-examine that subconscious, um, desire to see people that way
1: yeah no you, you yeah it comes up in the essay or the interview rather that uh there's almost this Boston the ethic of self-sufficiency which means that we denigrate those who have dementia because they're not as self-sufficient or don't have the lucidity as defined conventionally that we we expect
0: yeah right right and it's, to be honest you know i think in many ways we do that with elders in general i think it's exaggerated when we do it um with the elders who have memory loss um, but uh, you know, I think we um, undervalue that at our peril.
1: Yeah, I, I, I so agree. Well, I need to draw this to a close, but I, I really enjoyed the conversation, Derek. And, and I'm thank looking you Dan. and I'm looking you in the eye when I say it. And <laughs> uh, um, this has been a, an episode regarding the Sun Magazine and my guest, Derek Askey, who is one of the uh, magazine's associate editors. Uh, thank you, everyone. Take care. Until next time. Thanks so much, Dan.